swinging half a hundred on them at Owen Field. Or the run rules on the Diamond at Love's Field. We're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast with Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! 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 Let's go. Welcome to the Mainline Podcast, episode 151. He's Tyler Burton. I'm Adam Jacquez. Tyler, we're 4-0. How are you feeling? Feeling good, Adam. Really excited about this upcoming week. Obviously, Iowa State coming to town. Oklahoma coming off of an impressive, uh, by some standards, impressive performance up in Cincinnati. Anytime you go on the road, uh, first, you know, Big 12 game coming off of a 6-7 and seven season, you don't really know what to expect. Going up against a new opponent, that type of environment. Uh, and Oklahoma, you know, did the job um, defensively. They were fantastic offensively. I thought that they played pretty well in spurts. There's obviously some more things that we need to work on that we'll touch on here in just a little bit. But all in all, really excited about this upcoming weekend. I'm actually going to be in attendance coming back to Norman on Friday. I will be inside Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium for the game. So uh, fired up about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Weather looks like it's going to be really, really nice. So um, I'm excited, man. I'm pumped up. 6 p.m. kickoff for Oklahoma versus Iowa State on FS1. Under the lights there, it looks like we're going to get those anthracite uniforms that we saw last year. So we'll actually get to see what they look like at nighttime. I think they'll look a little bit better than they will at 11 a.m., of course. Uh, But let's talk keys to the game for Oklahoma versus Iowa State. Let's kick it off with the offensive side of the ball for the Cyclones. What should Oklahoma be looking out for here? Yeah, this is going to be another really decent test for Oklahoma this upcoming weekend. Iowa State, you look at the record, it doesn't really surprise you too and two couple of losses to Iowa and Ohio, but they are coming off of a uh, impressive 34 to 27 win over Oklahoma state. Impressive might be a little bit strong of a word word when you talk about a win over Mike Gundy's team right now with all the problems going on in Stillwater. Um, but but it was a performance, especially offensively, where Iowa State was able to find some things, particularly through the air with quarterback Rocco Beck. Uh, you know, just tremendous first uh, first team all name uh, Big Twelve right right behind uh, sharing those honors with General Booty. They were able to find some really good things through the passing game, um, and th- this is going to be a test, Adam, for for Oklahoma's offense, where we all know the challenges that Iowa State presents. I mean, it's it's been put on T-shirts. It's it's been a hashtag. It's been trending. The rush three drop eight that Iowa State has you know implemented for the better part of the last six to seven years. It gave Lincoln Riley fits. We'll see what Jeff Lebby is able to do his second time around going up against the Cyclones. Um, but I think it's going to be a really, really good test for Oklahoma on Saturday. Obviously, there's some things that we want to see OU try to do a little bit better at, maybe try to do some things a little bit more than they have through the first four games of the season. We all know that the Texas game is looming, you know, here in about 10 days from now. So you can't look ahead uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Iowa State does have the ability to give you fits uh, and, you know, ultimately make this a four-quarter game. And if you don't, you know, if, if Oklahoma doesn't bring it on Saturday, then they could find themselves in a one-score game with a couple minutes to go uh, where we're sitting on the edge of our seat. But it, it's going to be a really nice test. I'm looking forward to see what Iowa State's going to bring to the table. Yeah, you look at that game against Oklahoma State, and, and you kind of mentioned it there I guess it was impressive. I mean, they didn't do much against Ohio the week before. They didn't do much yeah. against Iowa the week before that. Oklahoma State, we know, is not necessarily that good. But you put up 34 points. You won by 10 points against Oklahoma State in Ames. Their offense for the Cyclones looked a little bit better. 
they had to really string together some pretty long drives, but they were able to get some guys mm-hmm. wide open on some busted coverages and, and get some long touchdowns at certain points. But uh, for the most part, this feels a lot like the same Iowa State teams that we've seen over the last couple of years where yeah. um, they have to put together a lot of plays really to get to where they want to go offensively. They're not going to be super explosive. Uh, Rocco Beck, you know, mm-hmm. I think this is, I, I guess they played Iowa, but this is going to be his first major test in a very, um, I guess, tense environment. You know, he's going mm-hmm. on the road, his first big road game. He's playing a defense and an offense that's going to be able to outscore him there. So he's going to be put in a position where he's really going to have to pass the ball to keep the Cyclones in the game here. And, you know, their their passing offense has been okay because they've been playing from behind against Ohio and Iowa. But for the most part, like, that's not where Iowa wants to live or Iowa State wants to live. They want to, um, you know, run the ball. They want to mm-hmm. have short passes, play action passes, so on and so forth. Yeah. And I feel like that plays really well into this OU defense right now, especially with the way Iowa State is saying, I think they're ranked 120th in the nation on third mm-hmm. down percentage, around 31%. That's something OU's done very well with so far. So I, I think I like OU's odds and the way they stack up with this kind of slower methodical offense yeah you just kind of dive into the stats of what Iowa State has done through the first four weeks of the season offensively right now they're they're averaging 21 points a game that's second to uh, second to dead last in the Big 12 on the ground they're averaging only 80 yards per game that's actually half as much as what OU is doing right now through the first four weeks of the season so as much as we've you know, uh, criticized and, you know, been skeptical of this Oklahoma running attack. They're actually twice as good as what Iowa or as what Iowa State has been uh, through the first four games of the season. Um, and, and even though the Cyclone offensive line, they haven't done a really good job, you know, running the football where they were, they only averaged 2.2 yards per carry against uh, the Pokes, 1.7 yards per carry the previous week. The offensive line collectively has only given up one sack in all four games uh, through the you know first part of this season. So they're obviously doing something right. I was actually listening to an Iowa State podcast, a couple snippets earlier today, and you would have there's almost a a newfound confidence in this Iowa State offense based on what they did against Oklahoma State a week ago. Obviously, you look at the stats, yes, it is impressive. Rocco, you know, 350 passing yards, three touchdowns, was able to find some success against Oklahoma State through the play action, throwing the ball in the middle of the field. That's something that's, you know, kind of been been tough for Oklahoma's defense over the last few years. I think that's going to provide another opportunity this week for Brent Venables and Ted Roof's group to, you know, see if they've really kind of tightened things up in that zone coverage. Uh, Iowa State's going to try to take advantage of that. Um but you go back and, and you look at Rocco's statistics because, like I said, you listen to you listen to some of the things that uh, Iowa State media people, some of the fans that are on social media that they're talking about, they think that this kid has really kind of turned the corner based off of what he did against Mike Gundy's group, whereas Iowa State did up, put up 34 points. But let's let's examine the entire body of work here. Let's go back to the previous week where they did lose to Ohio. That offense only put up seven points. He had a QBR rating of 66. You go back to the week before. Uh, when they took on Iowa on the road and Iowa's defense is going to be as close to maybe even a little bit less uh, from an athleticism standpoint uh, compared to what they're going to face against Oklahoma on Saturday night. He had a QBR of 42.9 and a 52% completion percentage. So let's kind of pump the brakes a little bit here on the Rocco Beck hype, um, but make no mistake about it. He did have a good game against the Pokes. He does have some momentum. Um, He's going to be as confident as you could expect coming into the game this upcoming weekend as he could be. So, again, it's going to be on Oklahoma's defense to uh, to get after him off impression quarterback, make him uncomfortable, and not allow him to get into a rhythm where he's able to find some of those easy throws and put Iowa State in second short, third and short, 
because if they're able to have some success on first and second down, then that kind of plays into Iowa State's hand where they want to shorten the game, keep that Oklahoma offense off the field, and really kind of drag this out to where you've got minimal possessions over the course of four quarters. That plays right into what Iowa State is going to want to do. There's a lot of unknowns about what Rocco is as a player at, at this point, yeah. but I think it's pretty safe to say that he's the best quarterback that Oklahoma State has actually played thus far, and uh, he put up 34 points on them. So yeah. what does that mean? <laughs> I'm not really sure. Let's talk about defensively for the Cyclones. Always a tough team uh, with uh, their umbrella coverage and what they gave uh, you know all the trouble <laughs> of Lincoln Riley teams, whereas uh, Jeff Levy, I guess, did okay against them last year in Ames, but... Um, what are you expecting, you know, defensively as far as what this team's going to bring to the table? Yeah, this is the side of the football for many, many years now that Iowa State fans have hung their hat on with this Iowa State football program. This it's a three-three-five defense, but like, like if you study the film, you look at a little bit of what this group likes to do collectively. Even though they are a three-three-five base type defense, they're not afraid to move into a four-man front using the same personnel package that they operate that three-three-five scheme with. Number one in the Big Twelve in total defense. Number one pass defense in the Big Twelve. They actually have, they're actually only giving up 177 yards through the air per game. That's absolutely unheard of, which again, a little bit of those numbers are skewed. It was, you know, it was uh, Ohio, it was Iowa, two programs that aren't necessarily, you know, known for lighting it up offensively, but they, they play really good defense for a reason. Very fundamentally sound. Yes, they don't have the same type of talent, uh, the, the, the same type of four and five stars that you see programs like Oklahoma and Texas have. But, the, but something that Matt Campbell's been able to do extremely well over the last few years is getting the most out of his guys within playing within his particular scheme that he uses uh, as a coaching staff uh, a guy for me that Oklahoma fans should be uh, keeping an eye on like I said this is a this is a defense that is going to be throwing out five defensive backs on any given down on Saturday night you got to keep an eye on Jeremiah Cooper three interceptions through the first four games of this season he is a ball hawk if Dylan Gabriel is not spot on if the receivers are making aggressive plays on those 50-50 balls Jeremiah Cooper does have the ability to turn you over and give the ball right back to that back to that Iowa State offense this is where I think Oklahoma, and again, we can touch on this as we kind of recap uh, you know, a little bit of the Cincinnati performance a little bit, the running game. There's still a ton of question marks. There's a lot of things that Oklahoma fans, I mean, we've talked about it time and time again, Adam, something that we're looking for. What is this, what is this offensive line not doing? What is the, what's going on with the running back rotation? Just basically across the board, it kind of feels like something's just a little bit off. There's that missing ingredient right now that Oklahoma, you know, just – just doesn't have at this point in the season that's been able to make this running game click and fire on all cylinders but I think you look at you look at Iowa State's defensive line yes they play predominantly a three-man front they're giving up 125 yards on the ground or yards per game on the ground so Oklahoma is going to have some opportunities on Saturday not sure which running backs are going to play it could be any of the four that we've seen over the first few weeks of the season. They might throw a couple uh, of the freshmen in, year, uh, in there. Hell, they might even throw Chapman McCown in there. Uh, I wouldn't put it past uh, <laughs> Jeff Levy and DeMarco Murray with the way that we've seen this uh, this running back rotation, those carries getting split. But, yeah, um, I think Oklahoma is going to have some success on Saturday night. I'm glad that we're playing a team that's good defensively after the outing against Cincinnati. This this offense, we've seen Yo-Yo, you know, either scoring more than 65 points or less mm-hmm. than 30. 
and it's hard to make sense of what exactly is going on there. So here's an opportunity where we've got a, probably a better defense than Cincinnati, even though I think Cincinnati may have had the better individual player in Dante Corleone. But here's a better team, I think, defensively, one that we know kind of the pedigree. We know they have the players, there, their names. Um, they're going to put up a great fight. They're going to play very physical. Mm-hmm. They're going to be very difficult, uh, very disciplined. And so here's an opportunity for this OU, def- or OU offense to come out and say, hey, we know we should have had 35, 38 against Cincinnati. We were just a few execution points away from getting there. Let's clean that up and really hit that mark pretty easily against Iowa State. And I think that makes a big statement. It says a lot about this team uh, heading into OU Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Iowa State, this is kind of interesting. We, I actually put this poll out on YouTube. You may not have seen it yet. If you could only pick one scenario, pick only one option for this upcoming game, would you rather... Oklahoma defense gets a shutout of Iowa State, or would you rather this Oklahoma offense hang half a hundred on them? Mm. I could I could go both ways on this, and I'm trying I'm trying not to look ahead one more week and talking about okay, well what's what's this going to do? How, how is this going to look going into the Texas game? What what happens on Saturday that's going to make me feel better about what happens at the Cotton Bowl? I think I'm going to go shutout. Uh, per, well. That's a really good question. I'm curious to see the results of that poll. I'm going to flip it here because this has been a defense that Iowa State has deployed over the last five to six years that has given Oklahoma fits. It doesn't matter if it was Baker, Kyler, Jalen, Caleb. They they gave Oklahoma fits for the better part of the last five to six years. So if Dylan Gabriel, and I'm going to highlight especially our wide receivers and our running backs, if you can go out there and score 50 on this Iowa State defense, I think that that does nothing but give – the fan base as a whole, the coaching staff, but especially the players in that locker room, a ton of confidence going into Texas here in the next uh, in the next seven to ten days. Seventy-seven percent so far on YouTube are saying they would rather see the shutout. So initial instinct you had there—that's interesting to hear your thought line. I think I would would go with the shutout scenario mm-hmm. simply because it is just another you know solidification of what we've seen so far yeah. that this defense has yeah. truly turned a corner, <clears throat> and it, and the offense. I feel like. You know, the defense is doing all the little things right. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing 30 different guys play on Saturday against Cincinnati. We're seeing very few missed tackles. Uh, we're seeing them come up big in clutch time plays, so on and so forth. Whereas the offense, I feel like those things are fixable throughout the season versus missing tackles in weeks one through four. You're not fixing that in week five and six. I, I think the offense is fixable to the point where I feel really confident they'll they'll get it together at some point. But see, to an agree, to a degree, I think that it gives you, it makes you a little bit more worrisome if Oklahoma can't figure it out offensively this this weekend against Iowa State. If you go out there and it's another a little bit of a lackluster performance, you leave a little bit of meat on the bone. You only score twenty or twenty four points against this uh, Iowa State defense. And again, make no mistake about it when we when we came into this season, I was actually kind of excited about the fact that we did have Cincinnati and Iowa State as the two teams in the buildup. To Texas, especially with what those uh, with what those two teams possess on the defensive line, you know, you talked about Dante Corleone. Then you fast forward a week to Iowa State, the number one overall defense in the Big Twelve. These are two really good units that Oklahoma will have played after Saturday night. That I think just gives them it gives them all the confidence in the world if they can go out there on Saturday night and execute on both sides of the football, because that gives you a lot of confidence going into Texas. We know that game's been circled, you know, for 357 days, ever since that 49 to nothing, I'm sure 49, nothing. If it's not already, you know, 
plastered all over the the, the Switzer Center. You know it is going to be come you know midnight on Saturday. Um, but yeah, I I still think that Oklahoma scoring fifty on Saturday would give me a little bit more confidence than if OU pitched a shutout. This this Iowa State offense is not what I, I don't even think they're as good as what Cincinnati has. The skill guys are nowhere near as good as what Cincinnati possessed. Rocco versus Emory Jones, okay, a little bit of a different you know different skill set. You know Rocco's not going to try to beat you with his legs, whereas Emory does possess that threat. So. If I if Oklahoma can go out there on Saturday, cover the spread, put up a dominant performance, and the big thing for me, stay healthy, have your guys sitting out of there by halfway through the third quarter. That's going to be big uh, for, for you know for the recovery and you know for Oklahoma have, putting their best foot forward uh, on October seventh against the Longhorns. But yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's do score predictions. What do you got Ooh. for OU versus Iowa State? Score predictions here. OU is going to cover. Make no mistake about that. Sooners are going to cover on Saturday. I am going to go 38-17. I think that this is going to be an instance where Oklahoma is going to come out of the gates. I think they're going to dominate early. You're going to see this team up by two, maybe even three scores at halftime. And then you start to rest the starters a little bit towards maybe early part of the fourth quarter. Iowa State scores a touchdown late. Oklahoma still covers, but I think that it is going to be kind of around that that 21-point threshold uh, for OU. I've got a very similar score. I've got 34 to 10, mm. so OU covering. I think there's going to be some moments walking away from this game that we'll still say, hey, we have a little bit that we mm-hmm. can you know, still work on. It's not perfect, but it's a very good showing. And I, I think it's kind of similar with Cincinnati, like, it wasn't the best showing, but it was still a really good showing. You kept him out of the end zone like, yeah. at the end of the day. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Right. Regardless of whether the offense missed a couple plays here or there. Sure. Let me let me yeah. ask you one question, then we'll put we'll we'll put Iowa State to bed and we'll kind of backtrack a little bit. If you're Brent Venables, and again, you're not mentioning the word Texas at all this week. You're you're trying to keep your blinders on, laser type focus on the cyclones this weekend. But again, we we can do this because, you know, we talk about the team. We cover this nonstop uh, 24-7. Adam, if you're Brent Venables, if you're Jeff Levy, if you're Ted Roof, how do you use this game on Saturday against Iowa State to prepare you for Texas? No, let me rephrase that. What are one or two things that you want to see focused, you want to see an emphasis put on, Saturday that's going to give you all the more confidence that OU has a better than uh, better than a puncher's chance going out going down against Texas I think for me it's just another week of seeing the same things that we've seen out of this defense where they get off the field at the critical moments that they hadn't been able to for the past decade or so Um, because if you're able to do that um, you know you're and this Texas offense I don't know if they're just destroying everybody and and sucking out their will to live in every one of these games, or if they're just kind of lollygagging around or whatever. But the fact they haven't scored 40 points against any of these opponents, I know they played a little bit tougher schedule than OU, but still some teams that they could certainly be scoring a lot on, and they haven't done that yet. That's interesting to me. So it's like, hey, you get like, you know, three stops, four stops over the course of that game down in Dallas. That's really all the room that you need for our offense to go out there and get the job done. So that's really what I want to see is continue. Is it though? Is it though? I think so. I think so. Yeah. So you're you're more bullish on OU's offense right now than I am because because for me, I think that there's two things that I want to see on Saturday that's going to make me feel better about the Cotton Bowl. It's number one, finalize your starting five offensive linemen, and put a good performance together with these running backs. Go out there and rush for a couple hundred yards, 
basically put yourself in a situation where coming out of this game on Saturday night, whether it is Tawie Walker, whether it's Barnes or Sawchuck or Major, you know coming out of this game without a shed of doubt who the number one and number two running backs are going into Dallas. And then the number two for me, this might be an overstatement, but this is where I'm at, Adam. OU's ability <clears throat> excuse me, to beat Texas in two weeks hinges on the arm of Dylan Gabriel. Dylan has to yeah. play his A-plus game in Dallas for Oklahoma to have a shot. So I want to see big play DG, being aggressive, throwing the ball down the field, play turnover free, take care of the football, but also take some chances. Feed three, four, and five. Farouk, Anderson, Anthony. Those are the three best players on your offense. We thought wide receiver position was going to be a huge question mark. That's been answered through the four, first four games of the season. That's the best position group on offense. Feed the ball to those guys. Get it in the hands of Drake Stoops, Gavin Freeman, and uh, just do what you do best. Get rid of the two tight end look. Let's see some more four wide receiver, one running back type sets. Throw the football downfield. Utilize your best assets, and I think that's going to give you the best chance to win, not just this Saturday, but for all the Saturdays throughout the uh, the remainder of this season. I agree with you. I just I can't erase what happened in the first four games in my mind of this offense not being able to run the ball, not knowing who the future running back is, or even throwing out Tawi Walker against SMU and it works, yeah. and then we don't even yeah. see him the next game. So I just don't have a lot of trust that that's going to be totally solved or fixed going into Texas. So uh, that's why I just want to see continued growth from the defense mm-hmm. there. Let's talk about our stock up, stock down, heading into week five. Uh, We call this hoisting the Jolly Roger or walking the plank because it's brought to you by CrimsonCaptain.com. It's where you're going to be able to get all the recruiting news that you want, all the film breakdowns, all the team notes, a a lot of updates, really, honestly. And it's kind of refreshing because uh, Captain's updating this site with all sorts of information, even on game dates when a lot of other sites have kind of shut down and just let, you know, game day chatter take over. We just got Uh, another update. Yeah, I, I don't know if you're talking about the uh, the one about Daniel Akinkumi. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one posted about you know 20 minutes before we hit record here. And then um, there's some really interesting notes. It's kind of cool to follow because uh, Captain puts out the notes basically as he gets the information. So you kind of get to follow along in real time. Uh, a good example of that is kind of some interesting notes about potential mm-hmm. you know flip targets that might be mm-hmm. at other schools that maybe aren't uh, winning as many games right now. So check it out, crimsoncaptain.com. You won't be disappointed there. Uh, well worth your money. Let's talk, though, our stock up, stock down. Tyler, who is going to be your stock up uh, from uh, from week four going into week five that's going to be hoisting the Jolly Roger? I'm going to I'm going to specify one one particular player here, but this also kind of goes in line with the entire defensive group. OU's defense on Saturday is my, is my huge stock up. Coming into this game, Cincinnati was averaging 240 rushing yards per game. Oklahoma gave up 141. They contained Emory Jones, forced a couple of turnovers, really made his life very uncomfortable through those four uh, four quarters on Saturday. And the the biggest thing for me, Adam, something that's been really, really difficult for OU defense for the better part of the last decade has been getting off the field on third and fourth down. You're continuing to see progression being made by this unit over the course of the first four games. On Saturday against Cincy, 3 of 15 on third down, 1 of 4 on first down. And this is where it really hits home for me. Stock up for me, if I'm going to talk touch on one player, it's Jaron Kanick. I think that Jaron played his absolute best game in an Oklahoma uniform on Saturday. He was flying around, making plays all over the, all over the field, both in the passing game, also in run stop, containing Emory Jones, uh, you know, really making his life a living hell. And I think the biggest thing for me, Adam, and again, I don't want to pick on anybody, but – Jaron Kanick, you see Danny Stutzman taking such a huge leap this up, you know, over the first four games of the season. 
I think that Jaron Canick also plays kind of a big part in that because I think that from an athletic standpoint, Jaron is leaps and bounds better than what we had a year ago at that position with David Aguebu. And I think that that's really given Danny an opportunity to make some more plays, to be able to do his job effectively 100% and not have to worry about, am I going to have to cover for somebody else not doing theirs? So I'm going Jaron Canick in this Oklahoma, this Oklahoma defense. It was a fantastic performance on Saturday, one of the best performances I can remember in recent memory. And we'll see if we can't build on that two, uh, two weeks in a row. My hoisting the Jolly Roger is very similar, although I thought about picking the guy we just saw here on the uh, highlights there if you're watching on YouTube. Yeah. thought about Zach Schmidt. Very quietly, two field goals, no no drama or anything like that, so that's good to see, but I'm going with the fourth down defense as well, uh, more specifically there. Three drives to end the game. Mm-hmm. I'm not counting the very last one where the time ran out and a lot of backups were in, but the last three drives of the game for Cincinnati, OU gets off the field after fourth and twos, not fourth and 19s or anything like that. Fourth and twos, you know, really hard uh, downs and distances to cover. And OU was able to get off the field on all three of those. And so just having those clutch moments where, where they're able to get off the field is, is really important. So I absolutely love seeing that, uh, being able to, uh, to stop that offense there. Let's go with uh, walking the plank. Who are, you, uh, who are you throwing off the boat this week? Big 12 officiating. <laughs> First and foremost, if, if we're not going to talk officiating, okay, let, let's get back to the actual personnel here. Uh, for me, it's still it's still the running game. The running game woes continue for the fourth straight week. Offensive line. They did progress a little bit from the first first half compared to the second half. Things did a little bit did get a little bit better. They were averaging, I think, one point eight yards per carry in the first half. They turned it up a notch, averaging four point seven in the second half. But for me, Adam, the, the running back rotation just continues to baffle me. I'm not really sure that we can get a straight answer on why certain guys are getting the ball, why others are not. Uh, why do certain guys get reps one week and but not play the next? You know, Tawi Walker had 100 yards, led the team in rushing against SMU. He didn't play the following week against Tulsa. And then likewise, Javante Barnes didn't play against Cincinnati. Gavin Sawchuk only saw playing time on special teams. So, Again, I, I'm not really too sure what to make of this. They they say it, it all has to do with your week of practice, but I get that. I, I really do. That, that I mean, that's that's good coaching. But also at the same time, how many how many guys? How many times have we seen that when the lights come on, when the whistle's blown, when the clock's running, some guys just play better on Saturdays than they do practicing during the week? I'm sorry. I mean, yep. Give your guys an opportunity for for Oklahoma to get to where they want to go to accomplish those goals that they set out at the very beginning of the year. I know he's done a lot of good things from the program. I know he's a nice kid. He's a really good interview. Marcus Major in Big 12 conference play cannot be getting the bulk of your reps at the running back position. I'm sorry. I know he had a good he had a really good carry on the third and 19 against Cincinnati. He picked up 19, kept the chains moving, but you've got to figure out a way to get your more talented guys, get the ball in their hands, give them an opportunity to get into a rhythm, to get more comfortable, um, you know, running behind this offensive line. Because if you can't run the ball in Dallas in two weeks, I, I, I don't give Oklahoma much of a chance whatsoever. He had about 31 of his 65 total yards on that one drive in the third quarter where, yeah. you know, just yeah. ran down the field, 75 yards, scored a touchdown with uh, mm-hmm. Dylan Gabriel's uh, two yarder to cap it off. So yeah, interesting. I, I wish, I wish they would give some other guys more opportunities I, or, or just, you know, go back to your bread and butter with the GT counter uh, on that. Well, um, l- l- let's, let's talk about this, Adam. I mean, again, 
what do we think could possibly be going on? Are you buying this? It's all based on what they do in practice or are Barnes and Sawchuck more hurt than they're letting on? And that's why we're being forced to go with Tawi Walker. Who again, I think Tawi is our best running back at this moment right now, but what do you think? What do you think's going on? Because this team is too talented. There's too many, there's too much talent collectively in that room for DeMarco Murray to be trotting out Marcus major for, you know, 15 plus carries a game. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm in agreement with you on that. Yeah, not everybody who practices is going to play the exact same way. So I'd hate to, I'd hate to just not give an opportunity to some guys. Um, I know Dalen Smothers and Caleb Hicks are, are younger and probably further behind on like their pass protection, some of the key aspects that they're needing there. But like, I think it's worth giving opportunities because no one's really been able to separate themselves so far, including Javante Barnes. I know we're all super high on him from what he did in the, mm-hmm. uh, I almost call it the orange bowl. <laughs> the, uh, I wish the, uh, <laughs> what was it? I don't even know what the sponsor the cheese is. It bowl. Cheese it bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the cheese it bowl last year, I, I know he was great then, but before that, like it was hit or miss throughout the year. He had mm-hmm. some flashes. He also, I don't think averaged five yards of carry last year throughout yeah. the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the jury's still out on him. So, yeah, I would like to see, you know, everybody get some fair shake. And it, it is puzzling the way that they just mm-hmm. go, okay, these two guys are going to play this week, but not the next week. And you're not really going to give Salchuk a real chance. I know he's he's coming back from injury, so maybe there's situations there. But, I mean, Adam, yeah, I, just I don't think it's too much of a hot take to say that Dalen Smothers has been the most explosive uh, running back from from what we've seen through the first four games, and again, he's had less than you know probably twenty carries so far through the first quarter. Of none the of season, them serious carries. None of them serious. And again, you yeah. know, take it for what it's worth. It's mop up duty for for most of these <clears throat> games, but I think the running back is is one of the most important. Where excuse me, let me back up here. I think the running back is a position where one of the most important things for your success is getting into a rhythm, is being able to get into getting to a zone where you're so comfortable seeing holes, knowing the schemes, following your guys, opening up those holes. And if you, if you're not able to knock off the rust off of those tires and, you know, Javante Barnes, Gavin Shawchuk, both coming off of injuries, both maybe having some nagging injuries to the first four games of the season. If you're not able to give those guys consistent carries over the course of a couple of games, Unless Jeff Levy is doing the ultimate fake out where he's saving these two guys and they're just going to run wild in Dallas in two weeks, which again, I don't think that's the case. But in, in, unless that is how this is going to go, why in the hell would you not want to use SMU, Tulsa, Cincinnati, Iowa State to get those guys confidence, to get those guys, knock the rust off the tires. That way when you go into Dallas, you're ready to go and you're not utilizing the Texas front seven as your opportunity to see, well, maybe Gavin's got it today, or maybe Javante, maybe this is the game that he can find a little bit of success. That's the best defense you're going to play all year long, and I just don't see that happening. But again, I'm not coaching. Maybe they've got a bigger plan for what's going to happen the rest of the season, but you got to change something up here. It's almost as puzzling as the three quarterback system that Mike Gundy implemented because like nobody could ever get in rhythm uh, in that. It's, so it's, it's, all, it's, it, it, sorry, go ahead. It's similar. I, that's really, it's all similar too. I was going to say, like, it's give almost, you guys some opportunities. Yeah. And it's almost as puzzling as why we continue to trot out Austin Stogner uh, on, <laughs> on Saturdays. And again, I don't want to oh, harp okay. on, I don't want to harp on Austin, but again, he's not what you need. Yeah. Let's wrap it up here with my uh, stock down or walk the plank and <laughs> just more negativity. 
I'm I'm making Gavin Freeman walk off the boat this week. I still think he's got some big returns in him the rest of this year, but just the hype that he got in the preseason as a receiver, and he really hasn't done much since that, uh, really that punt return. He really hasn't done much receiving. I, I don't know, and, and probably some of this fault lies in how he's being utilized in the offense, and he is behind Drake Stoops, who's going to be a little bit more sure-handed, a little bit better blocker there. So um, I don't know, maybe there's some different ways that, that he could be utilized in this offense. Uh, potentially to, to kind of get him going there so he's able to produce a little bit more. Well, I think I would just like to see them utilize his skill set a little bit more than what they're currently doing for him. Like, yes, I know he's dynamic in the uh, on special teams and the punt return game, but really what we see him do offensively, it's nothing but jet sweeps and quick outs and things like that. He's got elite burner-type speed. Give him an opportunity to make some plays throwing the football down the field. Let him run some of those crossing drag routes uh, that, that we've seen be so successful both in the both at college and the NFL level where you're able to line a guy up and run him across the field, force a linebacker to chase after him, getting the ball in space where he can turn up field and make a play. But, yeah, I, I think that's a good one. Well, let's see if this can't be the Gavin Freeman week uh, against Iowa State. Let's talk national scene, uh, things that are happening across the country here. We'll circle back to the Big 12 in a second, but let's start in the ACC. Tyler, we saw a big matchup with Florida State going into Death Valley and beating Clemson in overtime. Mm-hmm. Great effort from Clemson. Didn't necessarily expect it to be that type of game. Uh, they didn't cover the spread, but it's overtime. I'll, I'll credit them for that. Who do you think is the best, second best ACC team after Florida State? Part of me wants to still say Clemson. That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> because I think you could make a serious claim that, you know, if five play, maybe five or six plays go their way, as opposed to Florida State's or Duke, they're undefeated right now, 4-0, top three team in the country. Uh, but again, yeah. this is why we play the games. They're 2-2 they're two and two right now. So I'm going to go with Miami at this point right now. And again, I know that the, the popular answer is going to be North Carolina or Duke because they do have two really good wins right now. But I, I think Miami has an opportunity with the talent that they've got defensively. Mario Cristobal in year two right now. Tyler Van Dyke, he's starting to live up to some of those expectations, some of that hype that's been talked about. Coral Gables for the better part of the last 18 months. I'm going to go with Miami right now. I like their schedule throughout the rest of this season. Um, they've looked impressive through the first four weeks of this year. They've got the dominant ass-kicking win over Texas A&M. I'm going to go Miami right now as the second team uh, in, in the ACC conference right now. I'll take UNC because I think they have the best quarterback there, but there's a lot of teams like Syracuse quietly undefeated, same for Louisville. So I think normally it's really too early to say if if we're going to be at this point in the season where we start looking at, Hey, who does Oklahoma need to lose, you know, for playoff purposes or things like that. But in years past, if this was a situation, the ACC it would be like, you know, Florida state's a lock. I don't necessarily think that even though they've played a couple of hard opponents so far, um, they've got some tough ones. Florida's on the schedule. Syracuse is on the schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe I want to say Duke is on their schedule as well. So there's some tough games. Yeah, for It's a, it's a really tough schedule. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk uh, Big 12. Uh, you know, we had a lot of new teams coming in this year. Not really anyone off to a great start. I, I guess you could say Oklahoma's maybe better than expected, but I, everyone thought, oh, you would probably be undefeated here. I, I think really that, um, you know, it comes down to just the defense looking uh, significantly better than what we've yeah. seen. But everyone thought Texas was probably going to be a playoff contender. They look to be that so far. Outside of that, are there really any Big 12 teams that are better than expected? Because I, I kind of look across the board and go, yeah, everyone's 
pretty much disappointing or maybe roughly about the same. Kansas is the obvious one that sticks out for me. Obviously, you know, quarterback yeah. Jalen Daniels, they've started, you know, a perfect 4-0 uh, with the trip up going into Austin this upcoming weekend. You know, what Lance Leipold has done, I don't foresee him being in Lawrence that much longer with some of the jobs that are going to open up over the course of the next six months. Uh, I, I, If you really made me really made me you know pick a team that's exceeded expectations i know that from a roster standpoint this team was you know well equipped especially the starting 22 to be able to compete at the power five level i'm going to go ucf even though they are coming off of a, a loss on the road to kansas state but again they didn't have their starting quarterback you go on the road we know how tough manhattan is to play especially at night i'm still bullish i'm not giving up on on ucf that's going to be a tough test for for oklahoma when they come to norman here in just a couple of weeks especially if Plumley is back at quarterback for the knights um so yeah kansas is the obvious one but i'm gonna go ucf here for my final answer interesting okay so that begs the question then outside of this group of four maybe ucf is the answer but outside of this group of four ou texas both of the kansas schools is there a big 12 championship game participant outside of that group of four i mean if you were going to play the odds i don't think so um just because i think that if you look at the power rankings right now i think that it's texas clear-cut number one oklahoma is a you know is a is a somewhat of a distant two you've got kansas state right there at number three and then i think there's probably somewhat of a drop off before you get down to the kansas west virginia has been a little bit of a surprise this year many people thought that uh they'd be looking for a new head coach by the you know by the first week of october i don't think that's going to be the case anymore but but yeah i i don't think that you're going to be I don't think that you're going to see any team other than OU Texas or possibly K-State. TCU, maybe, if they're able to figure some things out you know, from, from this point forward. Obviously, they had a good win over SMU a week ago uh, up in Fort Worth. But I, I think it's a three-team race right now for who's going to be those top two spots played in Arlington on Saturday. Yeah, we're going to learn a lot about KU this Saturday against Texas. And I think a lot about texas as well we saw i think it was kansas scored two defensive touchdowns or at least yeah. set up two you know, pretty yeah. easy offensive touchdowns against byu i don't know if byu is the best competition but that's something that we really don't see from kansas jalen daniels really hasn't had to do hardly anything for the jayhawks so far they've been a well-oiled machine uh, so they haven't even had to utilize their star quarterback all that much to to get to where they are undefeated in the top 25 yeah. right now which is kind of crazy and i'm sure they're driving k-state fans crazy right now because <laughs> <laughs> they have all the talk they have the better yeah. record k-state um struggled a little bit with ucf uh, even though i think i think will howard is a probably their best passing quarterback since jake waters so um they've got a fantastic group up there mm -hmm. unfortunately they got the loss to missouri in a kind of that crazy college game you know anybody can win any given saturday especially yeah. on the road well so, will howard was playing uh, on one leg so i mean you gotta you gotta factor that yeah. in consideration but yeah. i mean i'll tell you as good as kansas has been through the first four weeks of the season Jalen daniels i kind of feel like he's still we're still scratching the surface on what he's going to be able to do performance wise this season texas is in kind of a hell of a spot on Saturday because you've got the you've got the fear of the the look ahead to, to to Oklahoma the following week it's Kansas you know you're a 17 and a half point favorite I've seen some places climbed all the way up to 19 you know you're expected mm. to win that game because it is KU uh the logo on the side of the helmet but again Lance Leipold Jalen Daniels they're going to throw the kitchen sink at Texas on Saturday to, to try to try to you know get that game into the fourth quarter obviously where it comes down to you know one possession but 
that's going to be that's going to be a fun test for Texas, and I'm excited to see what KU brings to the table and what's going to be their toughest matchup of the season until they come to Norman, or t- no, excuse me, until we go to Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anything else uh, stand out to you nationally that you want to cover before we talk about uh, our bets for the week? Did you throw your Colorado hat away? You give them Uh, any shot whatsoever? Do you think uh, this is the second? Oh yeah, oh yeah, they have a shot. Absolutely, Uh, they do. Did you watch that USC Arizona State game on Saturday? (laughs) I did. I I made it till halftime, and I'm like, this this is so much more fun to watch on this side of things. Um, Just the the torment that USC fans are going through, and you look at what the rest of the Pac-12 looks like. I I know they avoid Washington State, they avoid Oregon State on their schedule, but Man, like Washington looks better. Utah, I think not great on offense right now, but Cam Rising will be back by then uh, for the most part. Oregon looks amazing. Washington looks amazing. UCLA, you know, by the time they get to the end of the year with Dante Moore having a lot more experience at that point, UCLA's got a good defense in my opinion. So I I don't know how USC finishes second in the Pac-12. They may not not make it to the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, that's probably the most difficult conference Lincoln Riley's ever played in. You know, Adam, it's so funny to me. My dad, my dad called me on Sunday morning. He too stayed up late watching that performance that USC put up against the, uh, against the Sun Devils. And he said to me, Tyler, it's so funny now that we're removed from that situation that uh, Alex Grinch is no longer a part of this. He asked me, how in the hell did we stand up for this guy and try to validate it to ourselves and to other fan bases that everything was okay, this defense is okay? And now you fast forward two years later and you see the progression that Brent Venables is making with this defense with primarily a lot of the same players that were on that defense. It's night and day difference. I'm really excited about where we're at right now collectively as a program. But I do think that Colorado has a chance. I think they do. They'll they'll put up some points. I don't think at the end of the day it'll be end up being all that close. But yeah, you know, I think I think they'll put a little bit of a scare, and it'll continue the narrative of well, sure. USC doesn't have the defense; they're not going to be able to beat Oregon or Washington. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I'll eat it all up. <laughs> I'll eat Absolutely. it all up. Absolutely. So big Dion fan this weekend. Uh, but let's uh, let's talk about our bets. I know you've bet on Ooh. Colorado uh, recently. I don't think that's going to be on your card this week, but. Uh, we had it. We had an interesting week. I took a little bit of a half game lead. Got the uh, three one and one record last week, thanks to uh, Ohio State leaving one second on the clock. I thought they weren't going to kick that extra point. I was going to go four and one, but uh, three one and one for me, three and two for you. So I have a little bit of a half game lead on you overall for best bets. Um, so I guess that means I get to go first. So I'll kick it off with my there number go. one. Going bold again this week for my number one pick. I'm taking Kentucky minus two and a half at home against Florida. Haven't seen the Wildcats play anybody tough yet, so I'm a little bit nervous about this, but I do think that they do have the best quarterback here. They're playing at home, so I think they can win by at least a field goal. I like it. I'm going to stay in the SEC as well. I'm going to go out to Auburn, the Bulldogs of Georgia, traveling down to take on Hugh Freeze's team. Georgia's currently favored by 14.5 points. I did have a chance to watch most of that Auburn game against uh, Texas A&M on Saturday. And Texas A&M's defensive line just had their way with uh, with Auburn's offensive line on Saturday. It wasn't competitive whatsoever. They made Peyton Thorne's life a living hell uh, <laughs> for Auburn and College Station. Um, I, I think that Georgia is going to go into this one. This is probably this is probably a little bit less of a test than South Carolina was a couple of weeks ago. And you know, we all know that Georgia finally, when they got got off the mat, uh, what, what that looked like for Spencer Rattler's group. But I'm going to take Georgia to cover the 14 and a half. 
uh, on the road in, in Auburn. My number two, I'm going for, I don't know if you call it Maction if the game's still on Saturday, but I'm going to the Mac, Ball State at Western Michigan. This game is almost a pick em. Uh Broncos favored by just half a point here. It's going to be a good matchup of running backs, Marquez uh, Cooper from Ball State, Jalen Buckley from Western Michigan. But Buckley's the better running back, in my opinion. Uh, playing at home there, I know the Mac's got a lot of teams that are pretty even, but uh, Ball State lost 40-3 to last week uh, playing at Georgia Southern. So... That gives me a lot of pause about what Ball State's able to do. So give me the Broncos. There's your big-time analysis on a There's the big-time analysis. I like it. I like it. Pick number two for me, I'm going out to the Pac-12. Washington going on the road to take on Arizona. Uh, Washington is currently a 17.5-point favorite. I'm going with this one. Yes, I know it's a lot of points. Yes, I know it's on the road. But Washington, like Oklahoma, is one of the few teams that has covered every single week uh, so far this regular season. So I'm going to bet them until they prove me otherwise. Give me the Huskies to cover the 17-and-a-half number. I think that's a good pick. I don't know if Jaden Delora is going to even play for Arizona. I know he got beat up a little bit last week against Stanford, so nice pick there. I'm going to – I'm I'm getting back. I'm getting even with, with uh, Brian Ferentz here. He screwed me a couple <laughs> weeks ago, but – I've got something in my bag here that I think is going to uh, keep him from getting me again. I'm going first half, under 17 and a half, Michigan State at Iowa. Michigan State hasn't scored 10 points against a conference opponent or a Power (laughs) 5 opponent so far this year. Uh, Noah Kim, I know, has been limited a little bit in practice, their quarterback. So I'm basically just saying, hey, Brian Ferentz, I know you might go five wide at the goal line with 30 seconds left in a game to run up the score because you need to hit that 25 points game, but... First half, you're not going to get me. Under 17 and a half. Under 17 and a half. God, that just feels wrong, betting under 17 and a half total for the first half. But I like it. We'll see. It's it's Big Ten football uh, up there in the uh, northern part of the country. So pick number three for me. I'm going to stay in the SEC. I'm going out to Starkville, Alabama, traveling to take on the Bulldogs. Alabama currently a 14-point favorite right now on FanDuel. I think that this says more about how bad Mississippi State is and less about Alabama. I know that they they bounced back in a big way against uh, against Ole Miss a week ago. I think that they continue to ride that momentum. They run the football, um, you know, really shut things down. Miss, uh, Mississippi State wise on defense, Alabama is going to cover the fourteen. My number four. And maybe it feels too good to be true. Uh, maybe I'm a little foolish taking this. I'm going Charlotte plus 23.5 at SMU. Charlotte has not lost a game. They've played both Maryland and Florida. haven't lost a game by that much so far. So it just makes me wonder, like, why why SMU at this point? Why would SMU be able to do something that Maryland or Florida haven't been able to do? And maybe that's me being foolish in Vegas, getting the best of me. But uh, I'll take the 49ers <laughs> there, plus 23.5. Nice. Pick number four for me. I'm staying right here close to home, going out to Boulder, Buffs country, USC, Lincoln Riley going to Boulder to take on Dion and the Buffs. Colorado's licking their wounds right now. That was one of the worst beatdowns I've seen at the line of scrimmage in quite some time. I think that this is a game that Colorado is going to have a much, much better chance of winning compared to Oregon because USC doesn't have the horses up front on both sides of the line of scrimmage. So because of this, I'm going to go first half USC to cover 11 and a half. I think that they're going to start fast. Caleb Williams is going to come out fire, and I don't think Colorado is going to know what hit him. And then Colorado is going to be able to uh, kind of backdoor their way back into that, you know, 21 point or less margin in the second half. So give me USC minus 11 and a half first half cover. 
you took the USC first half cover last week, so I would really love to uh, to come back and laugh at you if that one misses. Again. I will seriously <laughs> contemplate getting a Dion tattoo if he beats Lincoln Riley this weekend. That that's that's how much I'm I'm cheering for for prime time on Saturday. <laughs> My number five. I'm uh, I'm taking a little bit of strategy from our old friend Corbin, who uh, used to be a co-host here on the podcast, betting against a really bad team. Tyler, do you know the last time that uh, Nevada won a game? Two thousand twenty-two. You are correct. September 3rd, 2022 is the last time they won a game. So I'm betting against them. I would take the whole whole game line, but that game starts at, I think, 930 uh, Central Time. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to stay up the whole time. I'll watch till halftime. So I'll take the first half line just for my my pleasure of, of being able to watch that first half. Fresno State, minus 13 and a half. I think the funny part about your card, and we're, we're kind of starting to see a theme here, Adam. Usually at least four, maybe even five of your picks are games that there's no chance in hell either one of us would watch, but I applaud you doing the research and doing a deep dive into the, into the Charlottes, the ball States, the Western Michigans of the world. It's we'll, so we'll see if it can pay off for you going down uh, throughout the rest of the season. Okay. Pick number five for me, closing out the show. Do I go Texas or do I go Oklahoma? I'm going to take the same approach here. I'm going to call an audible. I know I've got it on the script right now, the Texas game, but I'm going to flip it here and go Oklahoma, the home team. Let me see what uh, FanDuel's got it at currently. I think I saw it earlier. It was around 19, 19 and a half. Uh, it is 19 and a half. I'm going to go Oklahoma, four straight wins, four straight covers. Give me the Sooners to cover the 19 and a half margin against the Cyclones. That's bold. That's bold. That's getting a big line there. So love to see it. We will uh, be back again next week. But before we, uh, I guess, close out the show, really, two kind of Bigger announcements coming down the pipe. Next week's looking like a live podcast that will take place on Twitter Spaces. We'll have a couple special guests there. So uh, make sure to follow us at the Mainline Pod so you can be a part of that. We'd love to see you guys there. And then uh, there may or may not be a new teaser video coming out for OU Texas. So you'll want to make sure that you're following us on YouTube as well by searching the Mainline Podcast. And until then... We will see everyone again next week for the next episode of the Mainline Podcast.